Once again, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. I am going to read uh, from God's Word this morning. Before I do that, we'll pray. Lord God, we pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your Word. We thank you for your Word, and we thank you that we can open it this morning. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts, and that we would see your Gospel in our pages today. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I was going to read out of my regular ESV Bible, but then I found this awesome behemoth. It's leather, it's bound, it's 50 pounds, and I am excited. We are going to be in Joshua chapter 2 this morning, and that is on page 210 in your Bible, in your chairs. We are going to read chapter 2, and then we're going to read the very end of chapter 5, and then all of chapter 6. I know this is going to be a lot of scripture this morning, but it is God's word. It is true, and it can, it is, we can trust it, and I promise you won't get shortchanged on the sermon. Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate, clo- when the gate was about to be closed at dark, The men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The man said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you've let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. 
But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you've made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told, them, they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. All right, now let's turn to chapter, the end of chapter 5, which is on page 214 in your Bibles. We will pick up at verse 13, and we will continue through the end of chapter 6. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and worshipped, and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals, for your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of the war, going around it once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets. And they make a long blast with the ram's horn. When you hear the sound of the trumpet... Then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark, while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continuously. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. 
Only Rahab the prostitute and all who were with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron and holy to the Lord, they shall go into the treasury of the Lord." So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at the time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. This is the word of the Lord. It's a big book. Today we are talking about war. And as our song previous to the sermon talks about lifting high the cross, in the medieval era, soldiers would lift banners of where they come from as they go forth into battle. And so we as Christians lift high the cross as we go into battle. But before we talk about battle, we need to talk about golf. I love golf. I love mini golf. I like regular golf. I like all kinds of golf. Now, there are many rules to the game of golf. There are many rules that are spoken and many rules that are unspoken. For example, when you're on a regular golf course, at no time shall you never, ever step on the actual hole. That is a very big error. It's a big no-no. You're not allowed to do it. Now, in mini golf, there aren't as many rules as there are in regular golf. Though, there is one rule that I always broke as a child. I would go ahead and look and see how the hole would end. You're not supposed to do that. When you're older and you don't have children... Mini-golf isn't about fun anymore. It's about victory. It's about crushing your opponent. It's about strength, accuracy, and a little geometry. And whether or not the windmill decides to stop working just as your ball decides to go under. Now, I broke this rule as a kid. You know those holes that have multiple levels where you have a hole on your left and a hole on your right, and they go down somehow to the, to the level below. Or maybe there's three holes, and you have to hit and choose. But as a kid... I would run around and try and see which one was the right hole. It's cheating. You can't do that. 
And as an adult, like I said, mini-golf is not about having fun. It's about crushing your spouse, your family members, and your friends and showing them that you are superior. Now for Joshua, looking ahead was not cheating. Spying out the road ahead, looking at the battlefield before the battle, this is a good thing. A general would not march his troops into a battle he had not first spied out. Only a fool would march his entire army into a place he did not know he was going. And this is a good time for us to remember that just because God is for us does not mean we should abandon reason or that we should not think about how we're supposed to do things. God didn't give us a brain to weigh our bodies down. For Joshua, he's using his brain to see what lies ahead. So what does lie ahead? Jericho. Let's talk about Jericho. Jericho is one of the many city-states in Canaan. They have a king, like all the other cities around them, and the size of the city is roughly eight to nine acres. Now, uh, coming from the suburbs of Chicago, I've heard the word acre. I had to look it up because I didn't know how big an acre is. It's 43,500 square feet. But even that might be hard to picture. So picture 60% of a soccer field. It's interesting. Uh, when we talk about measurements here in America, I was reading a, a news article, and the headline, read, wrote, uh, the headline read, Sinkhole opens up in the highway the size of six to seven washing machines. And the, the quote on it, or the comment on it, was, Americans will use anything possible to measure and avoid using the metric system. 60% of a soccer field, about eight or nine of those. It's a big city. This covers a large area. And archaeological evidence tells us that the walls around Jericho were 15 feet thick. Those are thick walls. And we're also told by the Bible that the walls made it was made up of homes, comprised the wall around the city. Jericho also sat on a hill. It overlooked the area around it. And one historian comments that due to the lush area around the city and a spring of fresh water, Jericho was prepared for a siege. Jericho is a defending general's dream. It's got the high ground. You've got food. You've got water for a long time. You don't have much to worry about. But yet, the inhabitants of Jericho were very worried. And while they may have had great defenses, the commentator Matthew Henry discusses the defenses of Jericho. Jericho resolves Israel shall not be its master, and it was shut up by the resolution of its inhabitants, who agreed never to surrender, nor so much as sound a parley. He's speaking at a different time. None went out as deserters or to treat of peace. None were admitted to offer peace. Thus were they infatuated and their hearts hardened to their own destruction. The miserable case and character of all those who strengthened themselves against the Lord Almighty. God resolved that Israel shall be Jericho's master. And as the memorable proverb goes, pride comes before the fall. It's clear to all the people of Jericho that they are confident in their walls, their defenses, and their false gods. And so they didn't even think of making peace or trying to make peace with Israel. They had heard about all the great things that God had done, how God had parted the Red Sea, how God had destroyed the kings of the lands around them. So what would have been the correct response? 
They could have sought peace. They could have asked for mercy. But they didn't. We find ourselves here in chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. Where Jericho resolved to fight Israel, Rahab resolved to join Israel. Word of the exploits of Israel had made it to Canaan long before the Israelites showed up. And so Rahab, in faith, welcomes the spies. Joshua sent spies not only to see the city, but to also hear about the people, the gossip of the land. And who better to go to than a prostitute? For she sees things in her, in her daily workings. She hears things from prominent people in the kingdom. And while we do not condone her lifestyle or profession at this time, we do know that she did not continue her work after this. And also we know that before we were in Christ, we had a life that we're not proud of. We loved our sin as well. And we can know with certainty that she did not continue in her life of sin. She instead chose to serve a holy God. We see her fear of the Lord in verses 11 and 12 and the spy's response in 18. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. And then the spies respond, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. For the Lord your God, he is God. What a beautiful faith statement. The people of Jericho heard the same things about God as Rahab, but instead resolved to protect themselves. Rahab resolves to throw herself and her family onto the mercy of God. She had faith that God was the true God. She had faith that the true God was worth following. And she had faith that the true God was worth leaving everything. The spies tell Rahab to tie a scarlet cord in the window of her house in order to mark her house so the Israelites would know where she is and spare her. And with that, she lowers them out of a window by rope, and they go back to Joshua. And we read this in chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Where the twelve spies returned forty years earlier, two with a good report, ten with a bad report, we now see two spies bringing a good report. Now I like to wonder about things in the Bible, and I don't think it's wrong to do so, such as why did David pick up five stones when he was only going to use one to kill Goliath? Did the witch at Endor really summon Samuel from the realm of the dead? What happened to all the bodies that were risen from the dead when Christ was crucified and the earthquake caused all these people to rise up and walk around? What happened to them? It's okay to wonder about these things. And one such question I would ask Joshua when I meet him 
So why, why only two spies? Why only send two? Is it because two are less likely to be found? I don't know. My guess is probably as good as yours, but maybe I'd like to think that only two spies in his day spent, said a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And so Joshua, keeping with tradition, sends two. Regardless of why he did it, we should expect that Joshua was very pleased with this report. And with that, Joshua resolves that it's time for action. Now, I wish I could go through Joshua chapter by chapter with you, alas. I don't have that time uh, in this year, and maybe I'll have to save that for a pulpit of my own someday. But let me summarize what happens in chapters 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 before we continue today. Chapter 3, God parts the Jordan River for the Israelites to walk on dry ground, just like he did the Red Sea. It's a beautiful reminder for the people that as God was with the generation before, he is now with the generation now. As God cemented Moses as his leader, he now cements Joshua as his leader. This generation didn't see the parting of the Red Sea, but they truly can know that God is the Lord over all. And he stops the water from flowing so the people can cross the Jordan on dry ground. In chapter 4, the Israelites take 12 stones out of the Jordan River, set them up as a monument, so that when the future children would come to the river, they would know what happened there. And in chapter 5, the surrounding cities in Canaan hear about what happened, that the Jordan River was stopped from flowing and that the people walked across on dry ground. And they know at that moment their lives are marked for death. Then the Israelite men... Are, are, are also circumcised, for to be an Israelite was to be marked by circumcision, and this generation was not circumcised in the desert. And then, after the circumcision, in only a way that God's divine providence would have it, the important uh, holiday of Passover comes, and they celebrate the Passover. The Israelites celebrate the day that the Holy Spirit passed over the Israelites, and claimed all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. Joshua ate this Passover, as we talked about last week. He was there. He was the firstborn son. His life was in danger. But yet, his house was marked by the scarlet blood of the Lamb, and the Holy Spirit passed over his house. What a beautiful picture the Lord paints for us. Days do not happen and occur as happenstance. It's not just chance. Every moment is breathed out by God from the beginning of time to the end of time. And so, as time would have it, the Passover occurs at this moment, just before the conquest is set to begin. And as soon as the Passover is celebrated, the manna that had been falling from heaven ceased to fall. And our our text doesn't elaborate on the manna. They tell us that it started falling in Exodus, and now they tell us that it has stopped. The time of the exodus is over, and the time of the conquest has begun. Now, we're going to pick up here at the end of chapter 5, verses 13 and 15. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, 
What does my Lord say to his servant? The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Brothers and sisters, this is an exciting moment. I'm going to use a big word here, but I know y'all can handle it. As Joshua is standing by Jericho, he comes face to face with a man. But it can't just be a man, because the man says that where Joshua is standing is holy ground. And we also know that a dedicated servant of the Lord like Joshua is not going to worship a mere man. How can this be? How can Scripture tell us this is a man and yet he receives worship? Is your skin starting to tingle? Start to feel those goosebumps a little bit? No, it's just me. I see maybe one person. Okay, this is pre-incarnate Christ. That's your big word, pre-incarnate. This is God manifested in the flesh. The man who would one day take away the sin of the world and defeat death itself stands in front of Joshua face to face. And our world likes to neuter Jesus. Oh, Jesus came to preach love and tolerance. He, he wouldn't be okay with the, the war of killing people or, or condemning people for the lifestyle they live. The real Jesus just wants us to love everyone and be nice. The author of creation, the one through whom the world was created, stands before Joshua holding a sword, leading the mighty armies of heaven. Now Jesus himself in Matthew 10, 34-38 tells us, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Pre-incarnate Christ arrives ready for the battle at Jericho. And in a short time, maybe long for us as humans, but in a short time, Jesus Christ is going to arrive ready for the battle at the cross. And Jesus Christ will return for the final battle this time astride a white horse, leading the armies of heaven. What an awesome moment for Joshua. What an awesome moment to be in the presence of God, to be in the presence of the Savior he doesn't know yet. And for Joshua, there is nothing to fear. Joshua knows this battle belongs to the Lord long before it has ever begun. The Lord came to Joshua not to help, but to lead The Lord came to Joshua not to help, but to lead. Because Joshua knows that while he may be in command, he's really second in command. The Lord is his commander. And with Joshua bursting in faith and ready to move forward by faith, shameless series plug, we move to chapter 6. In the beginning of chapter 6, we get the famous military commands for the battle of Jericho that I'm sure you all are well aware of. They're commanded to march around the entire city for seven days. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. 
You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. When we discuss the battle of Jericho, the tactics of the Israelites seem a little weird, even to us, but probably seemed especially weird to the people of Jericho. Marching around the city for a day, showing your entire force, would have been a good way to instill fear. But after day three or four, the Jericho people were probably used to it. Maybe they woke up that morning and with the sun and they see Israel marching and, oh, they're marching again. It's good to see they're consistent. Pretty funny to think about. A besieging army would have brought battering rams. They would have dug trenches. The Israelites didn't do that. Despite their large numbers, they needed divine help to win the day. And in all things, victory belongs to the Lord. And on the seventh day, the Lord took away Jericho's advantage of its thick walls. The people of God obeyed his commands, and the Lord did a mighty act through them. So what did the Lord do? We find in chapter 6, verse 15 and 7 through 17. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you this city. And the city and all that within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom were sent. Notice here it says messengers, not spies. God is going to redeem Canaan. And he's going to do that through his messengers, Israel. And when they finished the the seventh march around the city, the Bible tells us that the people shouted with a great shout, and the walls fell down flat. The walls of the great city of Jericho fell down flat. Instead of having to assault the city up a hill and try and attack the gate to gain entrance, every man from around the city goes straight in because there are no more walls. But Kind of confusingly, we also read in verse 22, But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. One verse tells us that all the walls fell flat, but another verse tells us that the spies go into Rahab's house, which is built in the wall, to bring her out. So which is it? Did all the walls fall flat, or did maybe some part of the wall survive? Both. The entire wall fell flat except for one portion. The portion of the wall that was Rahab's house. At the moment the people shout, the Holy Spirit, the Lord of hosts, descends upon the city, destroying the walls of Jericho. The spirit of destruction spares no one living in the wall. And as the houses collapse in the wall, they crush all who are in them. The house of Rahab, the only house in the wall marked by a scarlet cord, survives. A scarlet cord, scarlet, red, the color of blood, that was the marker for her home. In Exodus, we talk about the Exodus a lot, but it was very important. The Israelites marked their households with the scarlet blood of the Lamb to protect themselves as the Holy Spirit passed over Egypt. The scarlet blood of the Lamb marked those who belonged to the Lord and those who didn't. 
The scarlet cord, the color of blood, marks the only home in Jericho that belongs to the Lord. And as the Holy Spirit descends upon the city of Jericho, he passes over the house of Rahab. Because Rahab and her house belong to the Lord. In the same way that the scarlet blood of the Lamb protected the Israelites in Egypt, and in the same way that the scarlet cord protected Rahab's family, the scarlet blood of Christ protects you and me. It is the blood of Christ that marks us belonging to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? The symbolism and the continuity of the Bible from beginning to end is something we should get excited about. The Lord did a mighty victory at Jericho. But far greater still, the Lord redeemed a Gentile prostitute and her family. The Lord made a non-Israelite an Israelite. And our God took a woman who was considered lower than low by the world and the people around her, and he redeemed her. He changed her life. Now, he didn't just redeem her and make her a part of this humongous people group of Israel, but he gave Rahab a place of prominence in the lineage of the king. If you read through the generations listed in the Gospels, Rahab is listed in the lineage of the king. Mighty King David, the reformer King Josiah, and the greatest and final king, King Jesus. Rahab's line gave birth to Jesus. But far greater still, the Lord has redeemed us. The Lord has made non-Israelites Israelites, not by the blood of an animal smeared on our door, not by a scarlet cord hung in our window, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb without blemish. And because of Christ's death and resurrection, we are adopted as Israelites, not by birth, but by adoption. And we're not just adopted as part of this large family of God, but we are given a place of prominence in the lineage of of the king, a lineage that hails back to the mighty King David, a lineage that hails back to the reformer King Josiah, but most importantly, the lineage of Christ. Romans tells us that the place of prominence that we are given as adopted people is the place of the firstborn son. Men, women alike, we're given the place of the firstborn son. Why the firstborn son? Because in this time, the firstborn son inherits everything. We inherit everything. Now maybe you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is or what his death and resurrection means. Hear me when I say this, no matter what you've done in your life, no matter how much of an R-rated movie life you've lived, no matter the garbage you've done, there is forgiveness in Christ. For the wages of sin is death, and for those that continue in perpetual sin... Death is what remains. But for those who acknowledge their sin, for those that throw themselves on the mercy of God, like Rahab, their punishment is taken away. And the death sentence is taken away. And you're given life. Your punishment is no more because you are covered in the blood of the Lamb. Now, 
I've not followed God all my life. I've done things I'm not proud of. But the Lord's blood has redeemed me. And if it can redeem me, it can sure redeem you. Maybe you've already thrown yourself at the mercy of God, but you've fallen away. Remember your confession. Remember who you are in Christ. And when we have been reconciled to Christ, he stands before us as the leader of heaven's armies with his sword drawn. And he leads us forward into battle. As conquerors and co-heirs with Christ, as a place of the firstborn son, we lead with him and we go forward into battle. Now what battle is this? This battle is the battle for lost souls of this world. We step out of those doors into a world that hates us, into a world that hates light, into a world that hates Christ. Now you may have heard it said before that the church is called to be militant, or that in the hymnal you've read songs of the church militant. This is intentional. The church is called to be militant. Not to go out into the world and conquer the world through violence, but to go out into the world and conquer the world through the gospel. I said last week that Joshua goes forward by faith, and our series title is Forward by Faith. Joshua does go forward by faith, following pre-incarnate Christ. And we too go forward by faith, following the crucified Christ, who rose from the dead and defeated death itself. So lay aside what's weighing you down. Cast your sins away and run to Jesus. And run forward with the knowledge that you belong body and soul to the Lord your God. And run forward with the knowledge that Christ our Savior and brother endured the cross for our benefit. That we would have eternal life and that his blood has redeemed you. And run forward with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit dwells inside us. And will guide us to the finish line where we will enter into our rest and enjoy the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Jehovah Nisei, the Lord is my banner. Lord God, you are the Lord over our victory. Strengthen us to go out into the battle that you have called us to fight. Help us to stand firm on your word. But most importantly, help us lead lost sinners back to you. For that is our purpose on this earth, to worship you, enjoy you forever, and bring others with us. Lord, we love you. We love that you have done a mighty work in saving us, and that you've adopted us, and that you call us your own. And not just bringing us in so that we can share in the family meal, but bringing us in as firstborn sons who are set to inherit the kingdom. We love you, Father. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.